Hey there, and welcome back to Season 1, Episode 34 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity and insight and life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I will be your host. Today we have the uh, phenomenal opportunity to sit down with Pastor Stephen Blandino. He's a pastor in, in Texas. The way I got to know Stephen was um, through his writings in Influence Magazine. And at the end of the Influence Magazine, there are some valuable tools for, for leaders and for for anyone as far as, as eight lessons. And he usually does eight lessons because the I think the magazine comes out every two months. And so you have lessons that you can walk through, teachings that you can use, teachings I've used. Um, I give him credit, but um, we've used them um, here in Madagascar with our, our church leadership and just learning to grow. We've used them on our team and just things that I found a, a valuable resource. And they're very insightful. They're very impactful. And so we, we unpack the eight to set eight steps in effective decision making. And, um, and the model that he presents was something I've used in my personal life. I've found to be very valuable. And the number step number one is that the power of the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, the reality of it is it's the first decision making model that I've ever run into that incorporated that, you know, I've been in Bible school, I've been in business school, I've been in nursing school, lots of schools and to tell you and teach you how to make decisions. But it was the first time that I very, I've seen a model incorporate that from the beginning. And so i found that super valuable and I think you will too. And so we have a great conversation. Do want to ask you to continue to send questions in for Back Channel with Foth and that's where Dick Foth and I sit down and he shares his wisdom and insight and experience um, and that's been super valuable and we'll continue that. As you know, we, we answer one or two questions and we jump into the podcast episodes and we do that once a week. And so um, it's been valuable for Dick to share his time, his wisdom and experience with us. Do want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Central Assembly of God and Pastor Doug Seaman in Cumberland, Maryland, caring for each person, connecting each story and celebrating each miracle. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. I'm so excited to sit down with uh, a friend. We actually talked, I think, uh, last July, or roughly this time. Um, he was. We were working on the app, the Africa Growth Culture app, and um, he gave us permission to use his um, insight and his writings. And so we're here today with, with Pastor Stephen Blandino. Would you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience for maybe some that um, don't know you as well? Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Appreciate the invitation. Um, I uh, live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, actually uh, uh, Fort Worth, and I'm the lead pastor of Seven City Church. We planted Seven City back in 2012. Uh, married to Karen, we have one daughter, uh, Ashley, and she is married to Dylan. And latest member of the family is our first grandson, which is wow. pretty awesome. His name is Elijah. And uh, so, yeah, that's exciting. And then uh, enjoy writing as well, written some books and, and do some blogging as well. Wait, congratulations on the uh, congratulations on the uh, grandson. That's exciting. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. exciting. Well, hey, I just want to go ahead and jump into the questions. You know, I you know I first became acquainted with you and your writings um, through Influence Magazine, and um, you know I was actually speaking at a uh, missionary um, gathering, and uh, I quoted you, and and um, and Jimmy Abrams came up and said, "I know him." And um, he said, uh, so he took a picture and let you know. And so Jimmy's the one that made, made the connection for us to be able to have this conversation today and um, really appreciated that. But 
I just wanted to start, you know, just with a question. Um, how do you come up with these? Because, you know, a guy like me, I read in the back, I'm like, how does he come up with these every, you know, all these great teachings in this short amount of time? Is there a process that you go through when you develop that um, for your writings and your teachings in the back of the magazine? Yeah, so um, just a little context there, the, the, the make it count section in the back of uh, each influence magazine, the, the goal with that is to provide some leadership content that uh, pastors or leaders, missionaries, anybody can use with their teams. Mm -hmm. And there's eight lessons. And, and the reason there's always eight lessons is that the, the magazine comes out every other month. So that's about eight weeks. And so the goal is to be able to provide a lesson that can be used once a week. And um, each lesson revolves around a, uh, a, a topic for that uh, that issue. So um, sometimes that's a topic that influence will ask me to write about. Other times it's a topic that uh, I'll pitch and uh, they'll um, they'll approve. Uh, but regardless of the topic, I'll, I'll typically ask myself uh, three questions. The first question is, can I contribute something meaningful uh, to this topic? You know, we all have our sweet spot. And so uh, I've learned that if I stay in my sweet spot, it's probably going to be better for everybody. Yeah. Uh, the, the second question is, you know, is this a topic that uh, I, I can create eight different lessons with? Because, you know, there's a difference in writing a, a one-off article versus uh, creating content for eight separate yeah. lessons that are all revolve around the same topic. So I want, you know, I want to make sure, can, can I do that? And then, and then third is, you know, what eight lessons uh, hmm. are going to be most valuable to the leaders? Because sometimes the topic, there, there can be a lot of, a lot of different lessons. And so I want to make sure that, you know, we're, we're focusing on adding value to leaders. And so um, I, I want to make sure it's really practical. The last thing I want to do is just create preachy content. And, mm -hmm. um, and so I'm not trying to create eight different sermon outlines. I'm trying to create eight uh, outlines that can be used to help develop and train leaders. And so, for example, the, the issue that just came out is about, you know, developing leaders. And so the eight lessons, you know, deal with identifying leaders, recruiting leaders, um, you know, doing a leadership orientation, equipping leaders and trusting leaders, empowering leaders, encouraging leaders, you know, elevating leaders. So there's eight different uh, topics. The next issue that's out, you know, is going to deal with uh, spiritual disciplines of a leader. So we'll hmm. talk about, um, you know, prayer and Bible engagement and worship and confession and stewardship and so forth. So, okay. so that's, you know, kind of what that process looks like. And then, you know, you start writing and then you usually do a little bit of rewriting and reworking and making sure it sounds good. And, and every lesson has to be between 530 and 550 words. So wow. sometimes, you know, uh, I, I'll go over that and is figuring out what do you, you know, cut the fat and get it, get it down to what, what you need to say most. So yeah. that's kind yeah. of what the process looks like. Well, I want to let you know, um, I, I give you credit, but I use your, um, I use your resources frequently. Um, we had a, uh, talking about developing leaders, we had a, um, a meeting with our le church leadership here and we went through mm -hmm. your, your teaching. It's, it's impactful for a guy like me just to be able to sit down. And, um, like I said, we give you, I give you always give you credit, but it's, it's, it's compact. It's there. It's, it's meat and, um, it's super valuable. So I do want to let you know that, uh, it's having impact around the world, maybe further than just the, uh, circulation of influence magazine. Cause, uh, Malagasy pastors have benefited greatly from it. So I do appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate that. It means a lot. 
one of the things, one of the ones that really stuck out to me, and that's what I'd just like to dive in a little bit today, um, was your own, your decision, your teaching on decision making. And um, you know, I, I've got my master's in business. I've went through many, saw diff- many different decision making models, but yours was unique. And um, it's something not only that I read and liked, but it's actually a process that I use when I'm making big decisions and small decisions. And um, I guess my question for you is, did you come up with that or did you have a challenge in making decisions and you developed this model or is there a story behind it? Or I, I guess that's where I just wanted to ask you about. Yeah, I don't know if there's really a story behind it as much as, you know, you, you make decisions and you, you learn along the way what worked, what didn't, uh, yeah. where you should have given more time. And, and so I think it was just kind of pulling back and, and asking myself, what are the things that are going to help me make the best decisions and help me, con- and not just once, but, but really consistency. It's the consistency and good decision making that compounds over time. So, uh, it, you know, it's just trial and error and um, learning what works, what doesn't, what helps inform the decisions. And, and some of those come more naturally. Uh, and then others, you, do, you really have to pause and reflect on. Yeah, no, it's good. And I think for me as a, um, obviously a Pentecostal believer, you know, the first one was, was the Holy Spirit. You know, I mean, it was the first decision-making model that I had ever seen um, that, that, that brought in a, a faith aspect and specifically saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the Holy Spirit. And you put there um, that it was for wisdom. And um, yeah. can you just unpack that a little bit on how, what that looks like at the beginning of making a decision? What, how, do you, how does that unfold for you? asking the Holy Spirit for wisdom in that process. You know, James 1, 5, of course, tells us if anyone lacks wisdom to ask God and and that he gives generously. And so I think wisdom is perhaps the most important prayer that a leader can pray. Hmm. And um, uh, a, a prayer that I've prayed countless, countless times is God, fill me with the wisdom and the knowledge of your perfect will and give me the courage to do what I need to do. Yeah. Um, you, you need both the wisdom and the courage to act on that wisdom. And so, um, you know, I, I, I feel like if, if I can uh, pray that prayer every day, um, and please understand my, my heart in saying this, I need fewer miracles if I pray that prayer every day. Hmm. Because oftentimes, you know, now understand I'm all for miracles. All right. Yeah, I'm praying yeah, for them right now. In fact, this Sunday I'm preaching a message about miracles. So I'm all I'm all for miracles. But um, sometimes the miracle we need is because of the mess we got ourselves in. <laughs> and so if I can pray and ask God for wisdom to, 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 you know, make better decisions, then I keep myself out of the messes that require God to do a miracle to bail me out. So, okay. so I just have a high value for, for wisdom and, and, um, realizing, uh, the greatest wisdom that's available to me comes from the Holy spirit and, um, and he invites me to ask and to yeah. request that, that wisdom. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And then the second thing you moved in, um, and the decision-making model, people probably are taking notes, is the second thing was DNA. And you said, we, we, we look at the DNA to find consistency. What does that look like? And do you define that ahead of time, what your DNA is? Or what does, what does that look like yeah. so we have consistency? So in terms of DNA, what I'm thinking about is organizational DNA or the DNA of your ministry. Um, and so a number of things contribute to the DNA of an organization, things like, you know, your, your beliefs, 
your vision, your mission, your core values, things that really make up the culture of the organization. Um, you know, culture is the simplest definition of culture is how we do things around here, right? Mm. So if I if I came into uh, your organization and I said, tell tell me why you do you know fill in the blank, right. um, you you might have a very clear articulate answer, or um, it could be that you say, you know, that's that's just kind of how we do things around here. Yeah. It's just it's just the natural thing, thing that, that, that happens right or wrong. It, it, it's just embedded in who the organization is. Well, if I don't understand my culture, then I'm likely to make decisions that are going to pull me in the opposite direction of that DNA. Hmm. Um, I, I can make decisions that pull me away from my vision versus pushing me toward it. I can make decisions that are inconsistent with the culture that I'm trying to create uh, because culture is oftentimes the result of what, I celebrate of what I tolerate and, I, and what I evaluate. Hmm, and um, if I, if I, for example, if I tolerate uh, behavior from a team member, that's not consistent with our values, I'm creating culture, whether I want to or not by, by tolerating that and letting it continue. That's good. Um, so, so, you know, it, it's making sure that um, the, the DNA of the organization is front and center whenever it comes to decision-making so that we can stay true to what God's called us to do. Yeah. So we can tr stay true to the vision, to the mission, to the values and the things that are core beliefs in, in the organization. And so the clearer those are, that kind of becomes like a true North with, with making decisions so you, that you don't do things that are inconsistent with that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And then the next thing, you know, I'm a, I'm a, sci a scientist. I like to consider myself a scientist. You say that the next step in is to do some research so that your decision making um, abilities has some depth. Is there any conflict there between the Holy Spirit and research or, you know, how does, how does that play? Obviously I don't think there is, but um, yeah. how does that play out for you? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think, I think sometimes that's what the Holy Spirit uses to speak to us. Hmm, um, you know, sometimes it, it's, uh, it, it's, in fact, I think all of these things the Holy Spirit can, can use to confirm what he's saying or to, for him to actually speak through uh, those things. And, and sometimes the Holy Spirit can give us, I think, a, a real clarity that this is what we need to do, but the research provides a, another layer of depth to it. Good. And, um, and here's the other thing it does. If it's a decision that you have to communicate and create buy-in with, mm -hmm. um, just saying God told me doesn't always fly with people. <laughs> so if I can point to research, if I can point to, Hey, listen, this is what's going on. And, and, and here's some, some information to create a little more depth and understanding people can say, oh, okay, well that, yeah, that, that makes sense. So, so I think about research, you know, th there's, there's kind of three different pieces here. There's, there's clarification. Mm -hmm. which is making sure you really understand the issue at hand. Um, and, and that's really defining the real problem that needs to be solved. That then there's innovation and that's coming up with, you know, fresh ideas, things that are going to solve that problem that are going to make a, dis a difference. And that's where a lot of your decision-making happens is, you know, what's the innovation we're going to choose? What's the, the thing that we're going to do? Um, but then something that's often forgotten whenever it comes to research is calculation. Hmm. And calculation is where you calculate the cost 
uh, and the impact that this uh, decision is going to have. So, so yeah, there's the the real cost in terms of financially or or uh, you know whatever that might be, but there's also the cost in terms of how this is going to impact other teams, other departments, mm-hmm. um, others in the organization. Uh, we, we it's really easy to forget that every decision I make has a ripple effect, and mm-hmm. so we if we don't pause and ask what ripple how are these ripples going to impact others in the organization? How are they going to rip, uh, impact other teams? How are they going to impact other budgets? How, like if we don't, if we don't calculate the impact, then we can actually make decisions that, that uh, pull the, um, that undermine buy-in mm-hmm. or actually create more frustration. And so the decision creates a whole nother set of problems that we didn't anticipate. Wow. That's good. That's good. And then you move on um, at this the next step in the decision-making model, you said is our past experience so that our decisions have a, a maturity to them. Could you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah. So, you know, the a- advice can come from all types of sources, obviously. Um, it can come from mentors. It can come from friends. It can come from coaches, other leaders, you know, people that are on our team, people that are, you know, on other teams or in other organizations, um, I think it's just making sure we're surrounding ourselves with, with people that can offer perspective and insight. And, and here's what I challenge leaders to think about is, is who can you seek advice from that is not in your normal um, environment? Hmm. So um, uh, oftentimes I'll say leaders, if we're not careful, we can, we can suffer from a disease called mindless mingling. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's where we, it's the idea that we, that we always mingle with the yeah. same people and yeah. therefore we become mindless in our thinking. Hmm. And, um, and, and so, uh, you know, that means sometimes we just have to get out of our, uh, our really comfortable place. And this is especially hard if you have a lot of influence in that place, okay. because, you know, if you have influence in that place and like, everybody looks to you as the answer man and everybody, you know, looks to you as the, as the expert or you've got all the influence and it kind of, it's kind of nice to be the person in the room with all the influence. It's not as nice to go into a room where nobody knows you, Hmm. but oftentimes it's in the room where nobody knows you that you're going to hear a whole different perspective and get a whole different uh, understanding than what you would have gotten just hanging around all the people that you already know. So that's why I think there's value in, in, um, you know, building relationships, um, a broader set of relationships. I think there's value in listening to a variety of different types of podcasts and, and reading in different fields and, and all of that type of stuff, uh, getting advice from, from different sources. And obviously, you know, as followers of Jesus, we want that advice to be filtered through uh, our, our faith in, in Christ and a biblical worldview. Um, but, but if we've got that spiritual maturity, we, we should be able to seek advice and know when it's consistent with what we believe in when it's not, because oftentimes I've discovered some of the breakthrough ideas I needed came from people that were not in my circle. Um, hmm. but, but boy, they gave me the insight I needed in the moment. Um, hmm. I, I, I remember meeting a, um, uh, uh, I remember I was going to a series of, of, um, uh, coaching meetings in another state. Um, this is this is probably three or four years ago. I was going to a series of different meetings, and um, I was going to go once a month for six months to this state. And so I thought, man, if I'm and I was going there specifically for a coaching cohort that I was a part of. And I thought, 
if I'm, if I'm making that trip, who else can I meet while I'm there? And so I remember I uh, met with a friend that was there. We had dinner one night during one trip. And then I asked him, you know, who, who do you know that I could connect with? And I knew, I knew of one individual he knew that was a really high caliber executive pastor um, that just had some fantastic experience. And I said, is there any chance I could get a meeting with him? He said, I bet I'm maybe so let me try. And he set that up. And so this was just with a fantastic leader. And so I came with about 30 questions, even though I only got through about seven or eight of them probably. And, um, and had a fantastic meeting. The very last question I asked him was, was, you know, a classic John Maxwell question, who do you know that I should know? And he said, um, you know what, you need to meet. And he, he gave me the name of another pastor who was actually beginning a uh, coaching organization. And uh, he was about to leave his church and do this coaching uh, ministry full time. He said, you need to meet him. And so I met him and, um, uh, and I ended up having a, a phone conversation with this gentleman and then decided to sign up to, you know, for, to be one of his clients. He, he became a coach for me and the wisdom that he gave me dealing with some issues that I was uh, wrestling with at that time organizationally was profound and, and incredibly impactful to help me make better decisions with some things that we were wrestling with. And that would have never happened had I not pushed myself outside of a circle where I signed up for a coaching cohort that I'd never been a part of and didn't know anybody in it. And then that led me to a conversation with a friend who then introduced me to someone else I didn't know, who then introduced me to somebody else I didn't know. Yeah. And it just added so much value that uh, it made a, a fantastic difference in, in uh, my life as a leader and, and organizationally. Yeah. That's one of the benefits of doing a podcast is, um, you know, normally at the end I'll say, Hey, who do you think will be a great, uh, uh, addition to this podcast? And it is yeah. interesting to see where you, how you can start in the connections. And I really do believe they're, they're guided by the Holy spirit. I don't think they're flippantly done. And is and you have so eloquently explained that God does open those doors. If we have the courage yeah. to ask, you know, and sometimes people say, no, you know, they, they don't have, right. they don't have anybody to share. And, and that, I have to be fine with that too. You know, you can't sure. get offended easy. Um, at the same time, um, when God does open the doors, it's, it's been phenomenal and, uh, very, very insightful. So after you've gathered wisdom for others, what's the next step, um, that you normally do look at in this decision-making model? Yeah. So the next part, and, and honestly, this is probably the, the most vague feeling and that's mm -hmm. intuition. Okay. And uh, in intuition, you're kind of asking yourself, you know, what is my gut telling me? Okay. And, um, you know, this, this part, you know, some people might push back on and say, well, that's, that's not, that, that's just kind of, uh, how do you really wrap your, 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 your head around that, you know, concept? Um, I think intuition oftentimes comes out of uh, your giftedness. Uh, you know, Maxwell talks about how you're most intuitive in the area of your giftedness. And I think that's really true. You know, the more, the more you have honed your gifting, the more intuitive you're going to be in that area. I have no intuition whatsoever whenever it comes to music because I have zero giftedness in the area of music, <laughs> but, uh, but in the areas where I've, I've spent time learning and growing and developing, that's where my intuition, you know, is the strongest. Yeah. Uh, I also think, you know, a part of intuition is, is those spirit led nudges where the Holy hmm. spirit, you know, uh, speaks. And then, 
you know, just gaining really deep understanding about the issue and what's going on and the facts and, and all of those things. I think it, I think your intuition becomes informed mm-hmm. and that informed intuition is what helps you make uh, better decisions. And, and so I know for me personally, uh, Aaron, this is, this is the area where I, I've probably dropped the ball in my decision-making sometimes is I've just not listened to my gut at times Hmm. Uh, perhaps because I really liked somebody and I thought, man, they'll be a great volunteer or they'll be, you know, really great in this, this, uh, role or, or maybe an idea just seemed really good, but I, I didn't, I felt it's like, I felt a check in my gut, but I just hmm. kind of didn't pay attention to it like I should have. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm learning. I, this is not an area where I've, um, uh, where, where I have, uh, you know, mastered this at all. And this one, I feel like I'm still trying to, to figure out just paying attention to when you're feeling something in your gut is there's probably a reason for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and you say that, that we, when we, that intuition gives us peace, you know, that peace in the decision yeah. and, and you're right. I know when I've made decisions and went against that, it, 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 there is not, there's not that peace there. And, um, that, that mm. peace that, um, it, uh, man, it can create a lot of anxiety and stress that doesn't need to be there. And then you kick yourself yeah. and you, you realize that you should listen and then there's not <laughs> peace right. after it either. So, That's oh right. man, the next step, um, you, you share are the, the influencers and so that you have buy-in in the decision-making, how do you distinguish that, who the influencers are and how do you approach that? Yeah. So I, you know, I kind of think about it in terms of concentric circles, um, you know, at the, the core, you're going to have uh, some of those influencers, obviously your, your spouse and, and, and your uh, family um, decisions can impact them. And sometimes we just take that for granted. So being mm-hmm. sensitive to that, um, you know, your staff, your board, um, your volunteers, uh, the congregation in terms of a church context, that, that's kind of how I think about the, the, the circles, you know, family, staff, board, volunteers, congregation, go out to the community, depending on, on how, who all the uh, decision is going to make. So, so um, depending on how big the decision is, probably is going to determine how far out you need to go with those concentric circles. So mm. uh, I'll give you an example. Um, about three years ago, we kicked off a major um, capital campaign, a major vision initiative. It was a two-year vision initiative. And so we we're going to have to raise a couple million dollars. It was going to be a significant undertaking. And, and so um, I, I started by getting clear on what I wanted to do, shared that with my wife and, and, uh, and then, you know, shared it with the staff and said, here's what we're, here's what I'm really thinking about with this campaign, shared it with the board. Um, when I really felt like, you know, we had the buy-in there, um, we, we started putting together our plan, uh, to, to roll this out. And, um, and here's the thing, the, the bigger the decision, the longer the runway. Hmm. So, so if, if it's a, if it's a really major decision, then the, the runway for implementation and for creating buy-in has got to be longer. So, um, I started in the spring, uh, this is about three years ago in the spring of that year is when I really started getting clarity on what this vision was going to look like this two year vision. Um, uh, probably in April, May, uh, worked it through with our staff and our, our, our board and engaging in conversations with them. Uh, we decided to hire a, uh, a campaign consultant um, as well. And we took the next three months just to prepare 
that uh, that process of of what it was going to take to raise the kind of money we needed to, to to raise, and so whenever it actually came time for casting the vision for this, that was also concentric circles. Hmm. So, for example, you know when you need to raise a, a large amount of money, you don't just stand up on a Sunday, preach one sermon, and ask people to make a pledge. Like that's that's disaster. Uh, that, that happens eventually, but that's not where you start. So we started by getting clear on the vision, making sure the staff and the board were bought in. And then we did a, a, a vision casting meeting with the staff and board. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, we did a vision casting meeting with uh, high capacity donors. And then a couple of weeks later, we did a vision casting meeting with all of our volunteers. And then a couple of weeks later, we cast the vision to the entire congregation. Mm -hmm. So by the time we cast the vision to the entire congregation, 50% of them had already heard about it. Hmm. But that layering effect, which took a couple of months to walk through, uh, gave us the buy-in that we needed to get. And then we did a, a, about a five-week sermon series um, with this campaign. And then people made their pledges, you know, um, in uh, October of that year. Yeah. Well, if we had started with a sermon and a, and a pledge card, we would not have seen the result that, that we needed to see for this vision to, to move forward. So being patient in the process, yeah, there you go, making sure that there was um, uh, buy-in from key influencers and then rolling this out in, in a very systematic way, it, it, it created the buy-in we needed to where we could raise the money we need so that the vision could actually be, be realized. Yeah. How do so, you, how do you guard that, that patience? Cause that's, as you talked about that, you know, I'm a, sometimes I, I get ahead of myself and I, I, I struggle with patience. Is there certain things yeah. that you put into place so you don't get ahead of yourself and in that process? You know, it's interesting you ask that because I was just listening to um, a, a message by a pastor where he talked about sometimes the only price tag you need to pay is patience. Wow. And he talked about how if it's that price tag, we don't like to pay, but, but if God said to us, Hey, if you'll just wait five years, hmm. I'll do this yeah. and I'll do it in a way that you never dreamed of. Yeah. And sometimes we don't want to pay the price tag of patience. And yet that's the price tag that sometimes leads to the greatest character development, hmm. the greater is the, the, the greater development of our personal leadership. And, um, prepares us for what God wants to do that otherwise maybe we wouldn't have been prepared for. So, um, so, you know, one thing is realizing this is part of the price tag that, that you have to pay as a follower of Jesus, as a leader and, um, and realize that there, there's probably a reason for, for the delay. So, um, I think sometimes I can swing to the other extreme where we never make a decision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because we're scared to, uh, and then we're saying, oh, I'm just being patient. No, you're just being, you're just being slow. You need to act and you need to yeah. need to do something. So there's a tension there. You know, yeah. when Andy Stanley talks about a attention to be managed versus attention to be resolved. Yeah. Sometimes that patience piece, it's, it's attention to be managed. You know, yeah. you need to know when to pull back, when to push forward. And I think being, being attuned to the cues of what's happening with your team with uh, your influencers, with, with people. Sometimes they just need a little more time. Here's the thing I have to remind myself. When I become convinced of a decision that needs to be made, however long it took me to make that decision, it might take that, that long for the person to actually buy into the decision. Well, that's gold. 
That's good. So if I'm, you know, if it took me three months to convince myself, yeah. but then I expect the person I'm sharing the decision with to, to buy it in three minutes. Wow. That's good. That That's not necessarily going to happen. Now it may not take them three months, but at the same time, we have to, to, to remind ourselves that wait a minute, <laughs> it, it took me, it took me three months to convince myself to do this. Yeah. They're, they, I got to be patient with them and, and be prepared to answer their questions and help them navigate it so that, that they can buy into it as well. That's good, man. That's, that is really good. I never thought about it that way, but I think um, that's one sh- struggle I have with collaboration because once I've mm. convinced myself, that's right. know, I, I think that, you know, everybody's just going to jump on because sure. I've convinced myself and I'm ready to go and why, you know, man, that's, that's gold. That's gold. Yeah. And then the last, the last step, and you say, um, share is timing and the, the timing of the decision is the impact. Have you made, have seen where decisions were not at the right time and what that looked like and how the impact was affected by that? Or just unpack that a little bit if you could. For yeah. Us. You know, I think on the timing piece, what's important to keep in mind is, is there's a timing component for uh, multiple people involved in the process. So for example, I think it's got to be the right timing for the leader. Mm-hmm. I think it's got to be the right timing for the team. Mm-hmm. And I think it's got to be the right timing for the organization or okay. for the church. And, and if any one of those is, is off, you probably need to pull back a little bit. Now there's going to be, that, that doesn't mean that 100% of the people are going to be on board. Yeah. Um, but, but sometimes you need to be able to just, uh, you know, it's going to take a little more patience uh, to, to help bring that uh, part of the organization um, uh, along. And um, if the timing is not right for the, for the leader, uh, you know, they're potentially setting themselves up for just a tremendous amount of frustration or, or even unhealth, not being healthy. Yeah. If it's not right for the team, you're, you're going to feel like you're trying to convince them all along the way, why this needs to happen and nobody's bought into it. You know, there's, there's just gotta, there's just times when the team is ready. There's other times when the team's like, why are you dumping one more thing on me? uh, (laughs) When we're already drowning, like the timing's just off, you know, just wait, wait a few weeks or months or whatever. And sometimes with the organization, there's just, uh, uh, you know, I'll give you an example that the campaign I told you about, you know, we finished that it was successful. We raised some, some money and we're able to do some great things and um, after that campaign was com- complete, you know, one of the questions we had to answer is, do we go into another campaign and another round of vision? And one of the things we realized was, um, I don't think it's the right timing for the church. I think there'll be some campaign fatigue hmm. if we do it right now. And so we just realized this doesn't mean that we don't have vision for the future. We just realize we, we can't go into a major campaign, which I'm glad we didn't because had we done it two months later, COVID showed up and uh, <laughs> it would have been put on hold anyway because everything yeah. changed. So, yeah. so just, you know, just realizing that there's, there's uh, that the, the timing wasn't right. And yet we're in the middle right now of, of uh, you know, planning out some vision initiatives for the future and, and, and really thinking through what that needs to look like uh, uh, for, for, for the future. So it's got to be right for the leader. It's got to be right for the team. It's got to be right for the organization. That's good. That's good. 
You know, in your your experience as a pastor and, and leading others, are there some common obstacles that you see that leaders run into, or just you know, people maybe they're leading their home or, or in life that they run into when it comes to decision making? Because you talked about that tension between not making decision, making a decision yeah. too quick. Are there some one or two obstacles that you see are maybe common yeah. for people? Yeah, kind of building on on what you just noted there. I think speed is one of them. Um, some leaders make decisions too fast. Some, some leaders make decisions, uh, too slow. Uh, when, when decision-making is, is too fast, it usually means we've bypassed some of the, the, you know, things that inform this decision-making framework that we've, we've walked through. Um, and when decision-making is too slow, it's usually because we're waiting for everything to be perfect. Yeah. And of course it, it never is. Yeah. Um, in both cases, whether it's uh, too fast or too slow, in both cases, you lose credibility and buy-in. Hmm. Hmm. If the decision is made too slow, then people are like, you know what? He keeps talking about this, but it is never going to happen. And wow. so they don't feel like you've got the credibility to lead them there, or then they just kind of pull out. If it's made too fast, then people are like, everything's kind of turned upside down and they're like, Oh my gosh, what, what is he doing? Why, why are we uh, doing this? And they're, they're really hesitant to buy in. And then they begin to question your credibility as a leader. So, so the speed uh, again, it's not a black and white line. It's, it, it's, it, you really got to be just sensitive to what's happening in the moment yeah. and, and just keeping a gauge on that. So I think speed is one. Um, I think another obstacle is distraction. Hmm. Uh, this kind of comes back to the DNA piece we talked about. Um, sometimes we, we want to chase the latest trend or the latest strategy. And, and as a result, we make decisions that are ultimately out of alignment hmm. with, uh, the organization and where we're going. We, we just get distracted. Um, it reminds me of, of something Jim Collins wrote, uh, one of the books he, he wrote, which wasn't probably as, as well, um, known as some of his other work. Uh, but his book, How the Mighty Fall, hmm. uh, in, that, in that book, he talks about how, what leads to organizational decline, what causes organizations to, that were maybe once great to fall. And one of the things he talks about is overreaching. Hmm. He said, oftentimes an organization or its leaders, they've experienced success. And with that success, their ego has also grown. And so because they become prideful or arrogant or they think they're, they've done so much, so many good things, they almost feel indestructible. And so the response then is to overreach, to mm -hmm. think, well, if we've done this, we can probably also do this and this and this and this. Yeah. And they attempt to do more than what they should. And so he says overreaching is, is, is basically the undisciplined pursuit of more. Wow. That's good. And, and, and so I think sometimes we can, uh, one of the obstacles we face is we get distracted because of an undisciplined pursuit of more. Hmm. We start overreaching and trying to do more than what we can or more than what makes sense. And so then we lose focus. And, and here's the thing. It's hard to get focused. It's even harder to stay focused. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, you know, it's just, it's just realizing, Hey, in my decision-making, there's got to be focused to what I'm doing. I've got to make sure I'm not getting constantly distracted by the, the latest, greatest. Yeah. Uh, and if we're not careful, we, we have organizational ADD where we're just all over the map. 
Yeah. And, and that's exhausting to the people that are trying to follow because they, (laughs) they have no, uh, they have uh, no idea um, where they're going to go. Right. You know, one, this one, one last question, Um, you know, as leaders, the decisions we make, whether we're leading our family, whether we're leading a church, whether we're leading an organization, the decisions we make have, have great impact on people. And, um, and sometimes I think, at least for me, when I've made a decision that didn't go the right way, the next time I'm almost, I have this, not paralyzing fear, but just this paralyzing if that I don't want to make a decision because I that that failure uh, that didn't go so good last time it kind of creeps up. Do you have any wisdom or insight on how we can come over get over that um not fear of failure but we've had one and we're kind of still limping from the you know that it didn't go so well. How do we get sure. kind of get back focused and then willing to make that that decision again because I guess the reality of it is they're not all going to be wins. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, even exactly. if we follow a model that you've outlined, that's, that's, that's perfect. Um, sometimes things will change and sometimes it doesn't, we might sure. miss it on one or two. Um, how do we get over that, 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 that fear of failure to continue to make decisions? Cause as leaders, we have to make them. Right. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes we have to remind ourselves um, there will always be a possibility of failure. Um, because what we want is certainty. And uh, we're obviously in a time right now where there isn't any certainty. Yeah. And so every decision feels like a risk and every decision, you know, is, is coupled with just the what ifs and the unknowns and, and uh, uh, you know, I was talking to a church planter just um, a couple months ago and, and they lost their facility because of COVID. Everything got shut down. They were meeting in a school and he said, we lost our facility. They, they, uh, he said, so I'm asking myself, do I need to, do I just need to kind of shut down and relaunch at a later date and spend this in between time really investing in my leaders and my team. Mm. And um, you know what, is that a risky decision? Sure it is. But at the same time, every decision, there's that possibility of, of failure. And yeah. as we talked through it, you know, he's, he was, he was just coming to me just for some perspective. And, and as we talked it through, he presented some really good reasons for, for why he, he might should do this and had a timeline of what that would look like. And I said, and I think you're, I think you're thinking smart here. I think you're making some, some, uh, uh, making some really valid points that that this could actually help you uh, launch strong again um, uh, in in the future. And so, uh, I, I think we just have to realize that there's never, even if we have a bad decision and the fallout was good, we we can't expect that the next decision we make is going to be failure proof. It's not. Hmm. Um, it's mm. just, it just comes with the territory. Yeah. Um, so I think if you've experienced a failure, you could go back and, and I think make it a learning time. Ask yeah. yourself, what, what did I learn about this? Did uh, if, if, if I looked at the eight different steps in the decision-making framework, which one probably maybe got shortcut? Um, yeah. Was there more than one that got shortcut or which one would have helped us make a better decision? Um, you know, or did the landscape change and there was no yeah. way to predict what was going to happen? Yeah. And um, maybe if it's, maybe it's even something you, you sit down with as a team and just talk through. Sometimes with our teams, we can actually build more credibility if we own the fact that we hmm. failed 
with them and say, you know what, guys, this did not go the way we planned. We had hoped that it, that, that it would obviously go different. It didn't. Let's do an autopsy on this and just yeah. find out what, what could we have done differently yeah, and make good. it a learning experience. And, and that, I think, actually causes your team to have a little more respect and say, you know what, he, he, he realizes it. He's yeah. not ignoring this yeah. and he's willing to learn from it. And That's um, good. That's good. No, it's good. That's good. That. You answered my question. I was going to ask you about the admitting failure and uh, you answered it for us. Yeah. You know, can I add one more thing there, Aaron? Sure. Just, a, uh, just one more thought. I, I think as well, sometimes debriefing that, that uh, failure with a coach can be helpful. Okay. Um, as well as, I, I just think there's a tremendous value in, in always having a coach in your life because here's the thing that about coaches um, Sean Lovejoy, who Sean's been a, a coach for me uh, on, on several occasions. He, he told me one time, he said, Stephen, he said, a coach gives a leader two things, perspective and permission. Mm. And he said, you know, a, a good coach will give you perspective. They're going to give you ideas. They're going to give you insight. They're going to help you see your situation from a different angle. They're going to help you, you know, get out of the weeds and see it from a, from a higher perspective. But he said, but the second thing a coach, a good coach will do is they'll give you permission. And, and what he was saying was they give you confidence in hmm. your decision-making. Um, you don't, you don't, like you don't have to have literal actual permission from your coach to do something, to make right. a decision. But I know for me, it can be really easy to second guess myself. Yeah. And having a good coach, it's like they give me permission. They give me, they, they help me believe when I'm so up close and personal to the decision. It's like they give me permission to, to realize, no, you're going the right direction. That's good. You're, 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 you're thinking smart about this. You're doing You're doing a good thing. So, I think that's an, just another value of, of coaches and how they can help in this process. That's good. That's wisdom. I appreciate it. Will you pray for our audience today and that um, we will take um, this decision-making model and it'll be not something that we uh, knew um, knowledge we have, but it's something that we, as we make decisions each and every day that we can begin to use this uh, model and put it into action in our life. I know it's been valuable for me. We've walked through it as our team here in Madagascar as we've processed decisions and um, it's been very impactful. And, and do, would you just pray for the audience? I'd be glad to, Aaron. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just come today and I thank you that God, as we are making decisions and sometimes these decisions uh, will have a tremendous ripple um, through our organizations and through the places where we're leading. I, I just ask that for each listener today, you'd fill them with the wisdom and the knowledge of your perfect will and give them the courage, God, to make the decisions that they need to make those tough decisions, those decisions that are not going to be easy. I just pray you'd give them wisdom. God, I pray that you'd help uh, each one just to walk through this process of uh, seeking advice and doing the research that needs to be done and, and uh, listening to their gut and, and God, just all of the different parts to this. And as they do, I, I pray you just confirm God, uh, the decisions that they have to make and, and give them that clarity and uh, the buy-in with their team and uh, just an understanding of the right, the right timing. And, uh, and I thank you, God, that as, as each one has the courage to make those decisions, uh, I thank you that you go with us, um, that you're for us, and that God, you guide us through this. And so I pray uh, each leader listening right now and the decisions that they're facing, you just give them that 
that uh, understanding and that there would be great fruit born of it uh, that brings glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.